Welcome to the latest episode of Nerds Amalgamated. I'm Buck, and with me tonight I have the Professor. Hello. How are you going? Feeling kind of dead. I've had a rather nasty respiratory infection, so if I just drop dead halfway through this, just finish up without me. Okay, not a problem. We'll do that. Um, If you do, can I have your computer? (laughs) No, my sister's already laid dibs on that. Uh, Well, that's fair enough. If it was your brother, I'd say, nah, screw him. I'll take it. <laughs> your sister's nice, so I'll let, I'll let her keep it. The other um, chook you heard cuckle away in the background there is the DJ. Well, hey, guys. Oh, that doesn't sound no, creepy at all. Say, buck, buck, buck. He, I think he was going for the Mr. Smooth routine there. <laughs> I'm kind of scared to ask him. fine line between smooth and serial killer. I'm, trying, I'm, I'm scared to ask him how he's going now. Oh, I'm so jealous that you, you, you start with the professor most of the time now. Yeah. <laughs> we, we, sorry, we apologise, folks. We're going to give him a writer for his own jokes. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's just... Oh, it's getting creepy. You're not doing a single white female thing on me, are you, where you're trying to copy me? No. I hope not. <laughs> but in other words, yeah, I'm going good. I'm going good. Just uni assignments piling on and... You sure but, you're not doing that thing from white chicks? He already asked that same question. Are you sure? <laughs> He's asked you if you're sure, that's all. Uh, no, I'm not doing anything from white chicks. I haven't even seen that movie. Single white female, it's called. Not white chicks. I've never seen any of those two movies. <laughs> white chicks is a really bad comedy about a couple of black guys who go undercover as rich white girls to catch a drug dealer or something. I've only seen half of it. <laughs> Why, yeah, what? I haven't even seen that much. It was looking it, kind of dodgy. It was a bad movies night, so that's <laughs> my excuse. Uh huh. But moving along, before we get into trouble, more than normal. Um, first up, we've got game developers studios being cheap prostitutes for the Chinese government. We're not in trouble then. We are now. <laughs> Well, I found a a post on Reddit a couple of days ago from uh, players of a game called Second Galaxy, which is a mobile game. looks a bit like a knockoff of the game Eve, and it turns out that's a Chinese game. It's quite popular over there. And the developers have been going through censoring, like, guild names and stuff that refer to the Hong Kong protests at the moment. And I thought, well, it's a Chinese company that's to be expected. But then I found in the comments of that, World of Warcraft has implemented a, as part of that profanity filter, worldwide, a ban on a bunch of phrases related to the Hong Kong protests. So they're not, like, they would have had the option to just block it in the Chinese client and work out a deal on how to do that with NetEase, who are their Chinese publishers. But they decided the whole world can't talk about Hong Kong. So does that mean if we're talking about Hong Kong, we're going to be censored or they're going to pay us money to not talk about Hong Kong? Uh, It's China, so they probably charge us for the bullet they use to kill us. (laughs) Fair enough. Was it a million dollars per bullet? I vaguely remember reading 80 cents, but that was years ago, so inflation and all that. But having said that, though, if it it is a million dollars to shoot you per bullet, uh, Professor, can you lend me 20 million? I honestly wouldn't blame you. <laughs> not not to kill him, just <laughs> maim a ninja. Oh, 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 what have I done to you? Oh, what have I done to you, Buck? What have I done to you? It's all in the name of science. Really? Really? In the name of science? And what's the, pro- what's the hypothesis? No, 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 no. It's not to um, review a hypothesis. It's to examine the effects that shooting you in particular ways has. It's a clinical body. study. Yes. It's to study, uh-huh. the, study the, the damage and impact. I'm not buying that so at all. Um, well, actually, there have been studies done like that. So, yeah, whenever people get shot, the photos and all the details are all taken and collated in a database by the FBI and 
other like any major police agencies and they all share it around so they can learn for forensic science. Yeah, I'm not, I'm still not gonna do it. <laughs> even no? if you t- tell me not, even if you tell me. No, 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 no. We'll be the fun in that. <laughs> no. I want to just be a surprise thing. You're just walking you're walking down the street somewhere. See <laughs> your favorite place to hang out and next thing you know you just get shot. No <laughs> it's still not gonna do it. I don't think he likes this. Ah, well. Anyway, so we're definitely in trouble with China now. Um, So apart from World of Warcraft, is anyone else jumping on board? Well, according to the comments on the page, uh, Call of Duty Mobile and PUBG Mobile, it looks like basically any game that's from a major publisher and published in China is getting this sort of request. And uh, since the only way to publish in China effectively is to go through NetEase or Tencent or another Chinese publisher. Things haven't... Like, it's a hard argument to uh, battle against that. Mm-hmm. The um, There was also a game from a couple of months ago that's just come to mind. I don't remember the title, but it got censored and removed from Steam because it had the uh, infamous Winnie the Pooh references in it. The ones where Xi Jinping is compared to Winnie the Pooh. Ah, I was trying to work out how anyone could have anything against Winnie the Pooh. Like, seriously? No, they just use him as a stand-in for their president. Can we have Winnie the Pooh as a stand-in for our prime minister? Yeah, um, here we go. The game is Devotion. Yep. And they pulled it from Steam um, after an outcry from Chinese players, which is the interesting part from what I've heard from the Chinese side of these protests is that the Chinese think that the Hong Kongers are just arrogant and overly, like, basically they think they're up themselves rich people who don't want to toe the line and follow the government rules. So, in other words, if you work hard and want to build a life and live free, you're a bad person. Yeah. And just to link back, there was the ruckus that kicked off at University of Queensland uh, a month or two ago where there was a bunch of... Um, protesters from Hong Kong who were studying there, having a peaceful protest, and they were attacked by a, a group of ultra-nationalists. Yes, I remember seeing that. And uh, the Chinese um, shields were out in force that day, posting on every article about how bad the Hong Kongers are. That's, uh... in, I will say this. In this case, it doing that, it's kind of like you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. Like if you do it, you're if if you if you do these type of things, you'll you'll be labeled a sellout. If you don't do these type of things, you'll be labeled a an outcast or maybe blacklisted in the games industry. No, you'd only be blacklisted from China, which to be fair is a billion people, so it's a huge market. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but the Chinese market is such a powerful market, though. I mean, even if you if you get black if you do something very horrible in China, it could have reverberations. Like if you sign up for a a games design job in America. I really doubt it would go that deep. I could see maybe having trouble getting a publishing deal with uh, Blizzard or Activision or some of the big ones who are are bending over for this, but um, I don't think an individual would be that heavily targeted. But then this is China, so who knows? They can't really target the individual on that level. Most of the Americans wouldn't really like most American publishers wouldn't care about it to that extent because it, it's not their decision individually, it's the company's decision. Yeah, I think it would only come into play if, um, if it was someone who expected to be able to publish in China. If they found out that you were blacklisted from the Chinese market, they might have something to say there. So, in other words, something like 10 cent, ten cent or netties. Well, that's funny. It's it's banned on PUBG, but PUBG is banned in China, isn't it? Um, yes, they did. Uh, they did restrict it for a little while. I presumably they sorted that out. Okay. Yeah. The in terms of companies, though, I oh, that sucks, man. What like you're faced with impossible choices like these? Yeah. Well, I reckon, like honestly, like most of the companies could have just said, "Look, fine, screw it. Your people just won't get our products, or they will, but just." Not through you, just without you being able to control it, and therefore well, we'll put more propaganda against you. That's the other problem. The Chinese are really big into uh, pirating a game, 
translating it into Chinese and then releasing it as original work. I know mm-hmm. some developers from Brisbane who have had that happen to them because uh, they weren't able to negotiate a release in China. Either they chose not to or couldn't get the attention of a publisher. And they um, found out that a few months later, their game had was on the Chinese store in Chinese and they weren't making any money from it. Yeah, it's the oh, same. Well, just return the favor if they're not respecting copyright. Just yeah. do, just return the favor. Start pirating their games. Like it's um, as I was saying, um, in terms of pirating, though, it it would suck on the on the companies in in a sense. Like you know how we always hear um, reports of like, oh, um, pirating in, impacts the company in terms of productivity and labor and whatnot. Yeah, so if really, pirate- pirating only affects profit. Because if you, um, especially with digital distribution, it costs you almost nothing to publish your game these days. So really, if someone cracks your game and releases it on a torrent site, you're not losing money from like having your CDs stolen off the shelves or something. You're just losing the profit that you would get from someone buying a copy. Or actually not only buying the license. Yeah. But um, yeah, I reckon but China's not, adhering to international copyright law. So the rest of the world should just go, fine, well, we'll just pirate anything of yours and we'll just sell it as our own stuff. And if you you don't like it, tough luck. But then, um, Professor, there's, there's a similar stories going on with um, Shenmue 3, apparently, with the whole um, localization stuff as well. What's going on there? Uh, from what I've gathered, so they changed a couple of story, as- story aspects. So for... A- so from this article I'm reading, so according to Nico Partners, instead of being set in Guilin, China, it's now being set in the fictional town of Silin, China. Also, Ryu is no longer from Japan, but simply a foreigner. That, um, that does ring a bell for some other things I've heard, that apparently the Chinese um, have some very big restrictions on Chinese history. Right? If I remember correctly, I read about it in relation to time travel being a banned topic because they don't want anyone going back in time and representing Chinese history as anything that isn't the party line. So I expect that's probably why that's um, done that way. Mm-hmm. But, in, but here's the funny thing, though. like When you hear stories like this about censorship and stuff, the Western countries will go, oh, censorship is wrong, it's evil, and it's terrible and stuff. But yet the Western, com- the Western games companies are introducing censorship, which is similar to China's version of censorship, and yet... <laughs> it's hypocritical. Are they though? Are they are they saying censorship is bad? Are there any developers in the West who are banning all mentions of a specific place in the world because it would piss off the government? Not really. Um, spe- not really um, banning any word rela- any words relating to that place, but it's more like okay, you can't say a specific term, or you can't say, um, you can't introduce certain materials, basically, into the game. Like Sony, Who's for example. saying that? Sony, for example. Remember when Sony's they... Sony's not a government. If you don't like Sony, you publish on Microsoft, you publish on Nintendo, you publish on Mac, if you're some sort of bloody weirdo. <laughs> no one publishes games for Mac. But the other thing you're missing there, DJ, is a lot of that, censorship stuff is got like governmentally government controlled requirements for ratings and release which we discussed a couple of weeks ago yep and yeah like some of it is to protect idiots from themselves and some of it's to protect people who need to be protected i.e children and um yeah like censorship and on in and of itself isn't bad how it's utilized in some cases is bad and in this case it's to control propaganda oh, so if sony refuses to publish you that's because they don't think the game will sell it's not because they've been told don't let anyone mention i don't know some don't don't let anyone mention the war basically it's not because anyone's told them not to do that it's because they don't think they will sell enough copies of a an 18 plus game that's why movies get cut to be uh, M15, I think, mm-hmm. and M15 movies will be recut to be rated PG. In America, PG13 is, I believe, the most common release because it's so accessible, but it gives you the most freedom in terms of what you can have in the movie. It's also, um, when you look at Sony, they're 
weren't they the publishers for ACDC from Sony Music? So, yeah, they're not exactly shying away from fairly controversial sorts of areas, I guess, would be the best way to put it. But moving along, um, next topic we have is one that I did a dance for joy when I first saw the article, and I'm pretty sure the professor's going to jump up and down and want to book a ticket to come along with me. Already there. I've been checking behind the couch for weeks to see if I can find enough money to, to book a flight. We, we, we are talking fake gravity, a supersized basketball inside the Space Hotel Experience. Now, when we say space, we mean outer space, not just someone who's spaced out on drugs or something like that. So, yeah, space hotels have long been in the world of make-believe and science fiction, but NASA's announced that it will open the International Space Station to tourists as early as 2020. So we have a Houston-based startup called Orion Span, which is proposing a four-guest space hotel called Aurora Station that would open in 2022. So it's only four guests. It's only a and b not a hotel. But I'm happy to help be um, the janitor for cleaning just so I can live up there. What about this other one, though, Buck? The Von Braun station. The Von Braun, 100 guests. Yes, I'm looking at this. Oh, no. Oh, the Werner Von Braun, which is... Yes, named after the uh, father of rocket science. Yes. And it looks just like Space Station 5 from 2001, A Space Odyssey. Yes. Um, honestly, I'm, I'm looking through all these proposals. I'm, I'm loving these. I'm loving the idea. Um, like, seriously, I, I, I just want to get up there. Someone make it happen. We'll, 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 I will go out on limb here and offer the services of Nerds Amalgamated to broadcast from your hotel on its opening day to help spread the word and publicize it for you. I'm sure they'll say yes. I mean, us compared to all of the people with uh, millions and billions of subscribers, of course they'll pick us. <laughs> well, see, that's the thing. That's the marketing genius of it. We're not the jaded, oh, I've learned this. We would, we would be jumping up and down with excitement and joy and really appreciate it. The people with millions and millions of subscribers are going to be blasé whereas we would appreciate it. And let's face it, we'd get millions and millions of subscribers at that point. But, um, yeah, the Orion Span, a 12-day stay aboard the Aurora Station, is going to run at $9.5 million. That's transportation included. I'm going to need to check behind a few more couches. <laughs> so, how, how much is it again, Buck? $9.5 million. Oh, per night, hey? No, 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 for a 12-day stay, $35,000 a night. Oh, man. Well, actually, $35,000 per night is on the International Space Station, sorry. Well, they can genuinely say they're the only million-star hotel. <laughs> well, bill- billion-star. One could say it's the best Airbnb. There's a no Airbnb. <laughs> hey, you can definitely work on your suntan. Oh! But... Yeah, like just all the different bits and pieces. Like um, if you're visiting the Von Braun station and you stay for a week or two, um, that would be amazing. But the thing that I'm loving is the fact that crew members would be likely to be spending six months in orbit before returning to Earth. So you hear about, you know, those jobs. I've got to go make a call to apply for space IT. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm just thinking. Like, you, you hear, you know how they have those um, flying fly-out jobs for the mines where it's two weeks on, one week off or whatever? Um, yeah, six, six months on, three months off. I could be up for that. Oh, so um, just a correction there, Buck. The Orion span is $9.5 million for 12 days on board Aurora. Uh, the ISS is 35000 a night. Yeah, but does it include transportation? No, um, the Von Braun one, Orion Span does. Yeah, yeah, that's Actually. what I said. Yeah, it's nine point twelve. Yeah. Twelve day stay aboard that is nine point five with transportation, okay, and thirty five dollars a night is the, the ISS. But you got to walk there <laughs> or hitch a ride somehow. That's going to be int- that's going to be interesting. I like, wonder. Just grab or- onto the side of a rocket like Space Bat. <laughs> Do you guys oh, remember Space Bat? 
um, vaguely. Kind a bat of. grabbed onto the side of the space shuttle just before takeoff. Nope. It probably died, though. Poor bat. I wonder, I, I bet you that 9.5 million must include, like, so many vi- rigorous tests just to um, see if you're capable of being of going to space and whatnot. Well, you got to pass certain physicals to survive the transportation because you're going through such high levels of G-force. But, hey, the more that this sort of stuff is happening and operating, the better the, the delivery processes will be to get us up there, i.e. a space elevator to a suborbital um, platform. So, yes. You know what's going to be inter- uh, the other interesting part with this concept? I wonder how many hotel companies are going to fight over this now. Like, can you imagine Hilton and Shangri-La, the Hilton, fighting over this? Well, in 2001, it was a Hilton on board Space Station 5. Mm-hmm. And Hilton. You would take TAA to space, and there's no more TAA, so we're going to have to find a replacement. And there's no long. And Hilton is actually owned by somebody else that's not actually owned by themselves anymore. That makes sense. They, mean, they, they were bought out a long time ago. The other crazy, the other um, thing that's going to concern me when it comes to this type of uh, hotels and stuff is the whole part of space disasters and media media storms and how are they going to protect themselves? Basically, they don't really need to. The all the other satellites and space stations that have been up there just carry a few fairly weak engines and use them to adjust altitude if there's anything in the way. Mm-hmm. But it's, uh, space is big. You're not that likely to run into anything. Yep. And the other thing is, is like as, as I was saying before about being part of the janitorial service, they've got the, in part of the article here, astronauts accept that every tiny piece of debris could cause severe damage to a spacecraft, but they're, they're quite happy to generate shielding with heavier material on the sides of the spaceship and steer it out of the way, but also have people actually go and retrieve some of the stuff. So spacewalk. Yep. The other advantage is that um, if you're in the same orbit as something, traveling in the same direction, then unless you, like, you'll never hit it because the way to catch up to something in space is to either, like, bring your orbit higher or lower. Mm Mm-hmm. So I think it's pretty much a non-issue. The, it's been solved already by NASA and uh, all the other space programs. But the other, other thing to consider there, though, is having the more space stations up there would allow for the collection and retrieval of some of the older space, space junk that's floating around. Because after all, you don't want to be taking too much stuff up there. So grabbing hold of old rocket components and old space, some of the old satellites around there for materials um, could be a good idea. Just got to be careful if you're going to use some of the American and Russian ones because they're possibly not actually dead. They're just sitting in there with um, nuclear weapons inside. So don't trigger the proximity alarms. But, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to the job applications coming out for being part of the cleaning crew or whatever. Hey, don't need HR up there for... Overseeing everything. <laughs> Buck's got his true calling. <laughs> He's found his true calling. <laughs> the first HR professional in space. Woohoo! <laughs> Either that or the first forklift driver. But anyway, I suppose we should probably move on. As, as amazingly fun as this topic is to talk about. We have... What have we got from the DJ? Is, is it worth going on to or is it more fun to stay back with the space station? What do you reckon, pr- Professor? <laughs> We should move on before we geek out too hard. Okay. Um, We have the Creative Arts Emmy Awards full winners list (laughs) with things such such as um, Game of Thrones, Chernobyl, Mrs. Uh, Maisel among uh, the top uh, honorees. uh, Bucky, (laughs) you're missing me. Pardon? Yeah, Buck, I was going to say that. (laughs) But I sounded better. (laughs) It's my topic. Oh. Okay, then. So on the weekend, so the 70th Creative Arts... 71st, Arts, not 70th. Oh, that's the, sem- that's, that's the Emmys. This is the 70th Creative Arts Emmys. There's a difference. Is there? um, yeah, so it was held at the Microsoft Theater down, downtown Los Angeles. This awards are presented in recognition of technical and other similar achievements in American television programming, including guest acting roles. So 
while we have the complete list in bo- on from both on, on the show notes, here's the summary. So T- Game of Thrones won 10 awards, Chernobyl won 7, uh, Love, Death and Robots won 5, Queer Eye won 4 good. awards. Love, Death and Robots is good. Oh yeah, I agree. Uh, Handmaiden's Tale won 3, uh, a couple of other awards. Um, Game of Thrones, some of the awards that Game of Thrones won was Outstanding Sound Editing for a Comedy or Drama Series, Outstanding Special Visual Effects, this is from the Bells episode, by the way. Outstanding fantasy, fantasy slash sci-fi costumes. Outstanding mental design. Outstanding casting for a drama series. And outstanding stunt coordination for a drama series, limited series, or movies. Uh, awesome. Chernobyl won a couple of awards. Uh, so what, some include outstanding visual effects. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. In a supporting role and outstanding cinematography for limited series or movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, there were a couple of awards like Handmaid's Tale won Best Get- Outstanding Guest Actress. Uh, Star Trek won one for outstanding prosthetic makeup for a series. Okay. Uh, Sesame Street won for outstanding children's program. What else is there? Uh, NASA huh. won. Hmm? I was just gonna say, here's one for that you, you would enjoy outstanding hairstyling for a single camera series. <laughs> um, outstanding original interactive program. NASA won it for their Inside to Mars landing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Outstanding reality, outstanding structured reality program, uh, Queer Eye. Uh, what else? Uh, l- oh, here, here we go. Outstanding short form animated program, Love, Death, and Robots. Guess which one? Guess which episode was it, Professor? It was the Witness. Yeah, it was. I already read the article. Ah. <laughs> uh, at- but oh. you know what? It's all got fantastic animation. Actually, I really liked uh, the animation in Ice Age. Mm-hmm. It's an episode where these people find an entire civilization in their fridge uh, yeah so it's, it's really nice animation of them looking in on the the development of society i like the um the one where it's kind of like metro exodus oh, the... um the secret war yeah that's one that one was pretty cool uh david Attenborough won an award for outstanding narrator uh outstanding interactive program nasa and spacex the interactive demo one launch uh david At- uh, also david Attenborough's documentary our planet uh outstanding animated program the simpsons uh seth mcfarlane won an award for character voice and rupaul won a best outstanding host for um reality tv show so those are some of the big ones but then there were some really controversial ones as well though like uh colin kaepernick's nike commercial dream crazy one best uh commercial which everybody hated it just which is funny uh outstanding documentary also it was very controversial as well in terms of leaving neverland that was pretty controversial that was a pretty controversial win so are these the emmys or the special effects emmys uh it's the special effects emmys but they they put some um, awards some awards that's supposed to be for the emmys into this one as well which is weird yeah but leaving neverland that was an interesting choice to be awarded the emmy though yeah yeah, for those who uh, you guys ever seen that documentary? No, it's a yeah, it was a very bad documentary about Michael Jackson and yeah. Okay. Um, um, I'm actually looking here. I've actually found something I now want to go and watch. Age of Sail. Oh, because it won the award for outstanding individual achievement in animation. So I'm now wanting to go check this out just to find out what it was about. It looks like a yeah, it's a movie, a short animation. Hmm, interesting. Uh, Anthony Bourdain won a couple of uh, posthumous awards as well. He won for his Outstanding Information Series, uh, Parts Unknown, and Outstanding Writing for a Non-Fictional Program. So how did Anthony Bourdain win an award when he's been dead for, what, two years now? I think a year ago. Well, he did say posthumously, so they awarded it to him and, yeah, someone from his 
estate comes so and collects it. Was his show still coming out after he died? Yeah. yeah. Okay. But yeah, that was th- those were the couple of awards. It's interesting how Game of Thrones won a cup cu- won a couple of awards, even though everyone hated the final season. Well, they didn't get awards for writing, did they? They got awards for costumes and stuff. Yeah, costumes and mu- music design as well. So, yeah, and tail and title design. Yeah, Panmain's Tale, as I said, um, won a couple of awards as well. So, so is what's the most outstanding one for special effects? I know I did notice there was something there about prosthetics. Uh, Star Trek won outstanding prosthetic makeup for a series. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, it was for an episode called If Memory Serves. Okay. Well, there's a huge number of awards there. Um, we'll have the link available in the show notes. We won't have all the awards because it would just would would need too many pages. But moving along, um, what game have you been playing this week, Professor? I've been playing Creeper World Anniversary Edition. It's a, a re-release of a Flash game from, I think, 2010. Mm-hmm. The developer... Um, has degrees in computer science and physics, and he actually made this game. The um, basically, you it, it's a tower defense where you play against a wave of blue goo, and the um, the developer has a has his degrees, so he decided, you know, I'll make a game about the transfer of heat through a material, and that's what the creeper goo is modeled off. And you build networks to distribute ammunition to all of your towers and he uh went in and used the a star um distribution uh sorry, search pattern for that so okay. it's got a really interesting background in terms of programming but it also is a really solid game and it still holds up the um each game in the series i've played the first and the third one feels sort of like an evolution it adds in a few features and uh quality of life improvements but the first one still is a pretty good quality for being a 10-year-old Flash game. So the, the Blue Goo isn't some teenage Smurfs that have gone out of hand and... No. <laughs> Just making sure. You know, those teenagers are like these days. I'm actually looking at some of the pictures here on Steam, and it's actually a really cool-looking game. What's the biggest flaw you've encountered in this game, uh, Professor? Probably just quality-of-life stuff that you um, have to manually move each item individually in the later games you get a uh, drag to select mm-hmm. and can you actually reclaim some areas that have been infected by the blue goo yes you can each um each mission is finished by powering up totems which are in the screenshots the green um resource tiles and you can if you have enough firepower completely close off a uh, a creeper spawner mm-hmm Okay. That's to say it's looking pretty cool. Yeah, I really enjoy it. So so how many n- nerdy beanies would you give it out of five? Nerdy what's? Nerdy beanies. Because we've got to keep our heads warm. Especially uh, for those especially for those of us who are going bald like the DJ. <laughs> oh oh. Uh I reckon it's pretty solid. Um probably eight out of ten. Eight out of ten? Yeah. I think the uh, quality of life improvements in Creeper World 3 really make it 9 out of 10, but knowing the background and the um, the mechanics behind it, it's still a really solid game. Awesome. So what game have you been playing, DJ? I've been playing Warframe. And how has that been going? This is the ninja one, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's been interesting. I've finished the quest. I'm um, trying to get... Trying to, uh get the uh, device off my leg so for those who haven't been for those who are not haven't played warframe it's basically in the early early start of the game you uh, the device attached to your leg and it affects your affects you in, in some ways and then um, so I'm now going to be entering the boss mode, boss challenge now so yeah okay. it's gonna be fun my biggest flaw with this game though is this this game is primarily made for consoles and they moved it and when you're playing on pc it's very hard to like control and control it on keyboard okay so that's that's my biggest drawback with this because on one hand you got you got to use the mouse to just um look around but then you have to at the same time try and attack or try to press all the buttons to, to just attack and it's just frustrating so yeah that's my biggest drawback this game okay so how many nerdy beanies will you give it 
might be a tough one, but I would say six. You gonna say six? Six, yeah. Like there, there are some. They need. There are some room for improvement, but yeah. Okay. Um, have you been going Tenchu Stealth Assassin? Oh style yeah. Attack? Yeah, I've been going through his Tenchu style style, but then recently I bought myself a, a pistol, so I'm just gonna go. Yep, screw the kunai. I'm gonna go with the gun. Okay. Get with the times. Fair enough. So you go more Assassin's Creed. You going loud? Oh yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Um, I've been playing the Orville fan experience still. Um, I figured out how to actually take control of the ship and start flying. Although I don't have quantum drive. Um, I found my way to the shuttle bay and I can open the bay door, but I can't actually take control of the shuttle and fly outside the ship, unfortunately. Um, yeah, there's so many, you can see that like there's lots of doors there that at the moment are locked, but I can see that they're going to become unlocked the more that they work on it. So I found Mortis's room as well as the captain's cabin and so forth. What's your biggest flaw in in this, um, VR experience? Um, uh, nothing really. It's, it's very, um, jerky with how it's operating where uh, it's just, and some of the controls are limited, but, um, because it's still only in the early stages of being released and being developed, um, I'm not expecting it to be 100% polished. And yeah, if you, for those who want to, if you go check it out, if you go onto the bridge and you go over to the right hand side, which is the engineering console, there's actually a button there that you can push, which turns the entire ship into party mode. So you have flashing lights like it's in a disco. Is it similar to like the flashing lights we saw at um, Thor Ragnarok a while back? I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, um, in the Thor the Ragnarok the movie when um, they, were, they were having that uh, spaceship chase and um, Thor and Banner were in the, in, in the spaceship that was for the Grandmaster and it's the party ship and Banner was flying the ship and he goes, where's the, there's no weapons in and he sees this firework symbol, he presses the button, and like, it comes up with the Grandmaster saying, it's my birthday, Lord, just fireworks. I'm going, that is such a funny moment. And yeah, it's random at the same time. Get out of here, hippie. <laughs> and no, this is not a paid commercial spot for Marvel, for those who are wondering. <laughs> I can't tell you I'm not paid by Marvel. You can but- you keep talking about Marvel. Like, we can be talking about something completely unrelated and you, you seem to find a way to come back to Marvel. <laughs> but as, as I was saying, so is it is it that sort of effect as well? Like you get like the disc No, the it's the lights inside the ship. Ah. It's the actual lighting system inside the ship flashes on. I don't know why you would have thought it was fireworks outside except as an excuse to talk about Marvel. <laughs> Goddamn hippie. <laughs> Anyway, moving along, before we have to kick him offline, uh, we have the shout-outs. Um, anything special other than the, what we've got listed, guys? Um, no. Okay. On the 16th of September, 1959, we have the first successful photocopier being released uh, on a demonstration at the Sherry Netherland Hotel in New York on live television. And it was the Xerox 914 on the 16th of September, 1976. An amazing year. Armenian champion swimmer, Sharvash Karapetian, saves 20 people from a trolley bus that had fallen into a Yerevan reservoir while jogging alongside Yerevan Lake with his brother Carmel, also a Finn swimmer. Karapetian had just completed his usual distance of 20 kilometers when he heard the sound of the crash and saw a sinking trolley bus. And he dived in and helped save people. So awesome, awesome effort. And an interesting take on the classic trolley problem. I like the um, the fact that he was awarded, the medals that he got awarded was Medal for the Salvation of the Drowning and Order of the Badge of Honor. It probably sounds really, really cool in Armenian, and you're just dissing on it. Hey, it's so funny. It's like, for the salvation of the drowning. I mean... <laughs> As I said, it probably sounds yeah. really, really cool in Armenian, and you just... We apologize to any Armenian listeners we have. He's 
the DJ. <laughs> if this was Faulty Towers, I'd be saying he's from Barcelona and slapping him up the back of the head. Um, on the 16th of September, 2019, we have a fisherman in, who's gone off one of the Norwegian islands to do a bit of fishing, and he's caught an alien fish with huge bulbous eyes. And as every good fisherman tells you, if you catch it, you've either got to throw it back or eat it. So he ate it. Um, Mr. Oscar Lundhal was 19, and he was fishing for the blue halibut of Andoya in northern Norway, which in and of itself is impressive because going north of Norway is you're in the North Pole and Arctic region. So, yeah, already worthy of being respected. Um, this fish is believed to have been related to a Greek mythical monster, or it was named after that. Um, it's a species of ratfish and a relative of the shark that dates back 300 million years. And we haven't got how deep it was. It was 800 metres, wasn't it? Yes, I think that was correct. Sounds absolutely insane, but those fjords are ridiculous. Yeah. Like, seriously, folks, if you um, check out the link, um, if you're on Apple, they apparently don't have the links, um, go to the TNC website. We have all our hyperlinks listed there or on our Facebook page. Um, this is a ridiculous ridiculously weird-looking fish. And I love the fact that um, the photo shows Mr. Lundhal sitting there behind it while he's holding it up, and the look on his face is, I'm going to barbecue you with a bit of lemon, a bit of dill, a bit of pepper, a little bit of garlic. So, yeah. Yeah, 800 metres deep. And it took him 30 minutes to reel it in because it was that deep. You wouldn't want to get your line snagged. No. Um, apparently, it tasted a little bit like cod, just a little bit tastier, though, apparently. So, yeah, despite being ugly, it was delicious. Oh, joy, another species we can fish to extinction. Um, and just be careful, DJ. He said even though it was ugly, it was delicious, so you might be on the menu. <laughs> on the 16th of September, 1736, Daniel Gabriel Fahrenheit, a physicist, inventor, and scientific instrument maker, was born. Fahrenheit oh, he's dead. Was, oh. This is remembrances. Oops, sorry. Uh, I was going to say he was born in Danzig. Now, Yarisk, Poland, then a predominantly German-speaking Hanseatic city in the Pomeranian Voivodeship of the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth. Unfortunately, died this day. At the age of 50, he died from mercury poisoning. This is the man who was one of the instruments, like main people who helped develop the instrumentation of the thermometer and the Fahrenheit scale, in which mercury was quite often used. On the 16th of September, 2005, Gordon Gould, American physicist who is widely but not universally credited with the invention of the laser. Others uh, attribute the invention to Theodore Maiman, Gould is best known for his 30-year fight with the United States Patent and Trademark Office to obtain patents for the laser and related technologies. He also fought with laser manufacturers in court battles to enforce the patents he subsequently did obtain. He died from natural causes at the age of 85 in New York City. On the 15th of September 2019, Richard Theodore Oskacek, known as Rick Oskarczyk, was an American singer, songwriter, musician, record producer, and painter. Also made a really good cup of tea. He was the lead vocalist, rhythm gu guitarist, and songwriter for the rock band The, the Cars. In 2018, Oskarczyk was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame as one of the members of The Cars. The same year, he exhibited several of his paintings in a national tour. He died of heart disease at the age of 75 in New York City. Moving on to birthdays, on the 16th of September 1875, James Cash Penny Jr., um, American businessman, entrepreneur, who founded the J.C. Penny Cash stores. So, um, yeah. Interesting, he, he seemed to have his money on his mind and his mind on his money and was successful. 
Um, yes, in eighteen. Penny is like the best gangster name ever. Hey, <laughs> he looks more gangster than some of those ones running around these days trying to say that they're gangster, especially those mumble rappers. Oh, <laughs> uh, he goes mumble rapper around again. Abort, <laughs> abort. <laughs> but um, yeah. So moving moving on to the next person. On the 16th of September, 1925, Riley B. King, known professionally as B.B. King, was an American singer, songwriter, guitarist, record producer, legend, and love machine. Um, yeah, King introduced a sophisticated uh, style of soloing based on fluid string bending and shimmering vibrato that influenced many, many later electric blues guitarists. Um, King was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1987 and is one of the most influential blues musicians of all time, earning the nickname the King of the Blues and is considered one of the three kings of the blues guitar, along with Albert and Freddie King. King performed tirelessly throughout his musical career, appearing on average at more than 200 concerts per year into his 70s. In 1956 alone, he appeared at 342 shows. He was born in Itabena, Mississippi. So, yes, I, I am a fan, in case anyone didn't pick that up. Sorry. Um, 16th of September, 1956, David Seth Kotkin known professionally as David Copperfield, American magician described by Forbes as the most commercially successful magician in history, was born in Metasution, New Jersey. So now we know how he learned how to make bodies disappear. On the 16th of September, 1960, Danny John Jules, British actor, singer, dancer, he played Cat, in the absolutely awesome and legendary sci-fi comedy series, Red Dwarf, and policeman Dwayne Myers in the crime drama, Death in Paradise. Um, he was also a protagonist in the hit CBBC children's spy drama, MI High. Um, he was born in Paddington, London. So uh, for those who... Don't know London. No, it isn't just a train station on the Monopoly board. <laughs> on the 16th of September, 1963, The Outer Limits first aired on ABC. The series is often compared to The Twilight Zone, but with a great emphasis on science fiction stories rather than stories of fantasy or the supernatural matters. The Art of Limits is an anthology of self-contained episodes, sometimes with a plot twist at the end. Dun, that's, dun, one heck, dun. that's one heck of an event of interest. Yep. On the 16th of September, 1979, eight people escaped from East Germany to the West in a homemade hot air balloon. The plot to accomplish this was carried out over a period of one and a half years, including an unsuccessful attempt three different balloons and various modifications until the successful escape occurred. And it's a bloody amazing story. They, this is like this is what they could make a, a, a TV series out of instead of putting some of those reality TV programs out there. Well, yeah, just a, a whole anthology of the different plots to get over the wall. Yeah. And then if you want to make a reality TV series, make it so that people have to try and do this in real life and copy it. Imagine yeah, the Mythbusters <laughs> reenacted the uh, escape from Alcatraz. Yeah. So just get someone like them to come and escape from Berlin. But make it, so, make it so you got teams. Oh, no, no make, it, make, make it more dramatic. Like, make it include life and death situation, like uh, escape from North Korea or something like that. Um, For the people in the North Korean intelligence service, that was the DJ who was dissing <laughs> your country, not the rest of the nerds. <laughs> The DJ, the funny-looking one. <laughs> On the 17th of September, 1978, Battlestar Galactica first aired at its 148-minute pilot episode on ABC, starring Lorne Green. You, go, you would have hated to have been him in school, wouldn't you, when they say the surname first. Green, Lorne, 
<laughs> um, yes. I'm pretty sure he never would have heard that before. Um, yes. I think we should probably just run away and hide now because that was pretty abysmal, even for me. <laughs> and I think that's actually the end of the show. <laughs> I haven't missed anything, have I? No, no, I don't think so. No. Oh. Have, have I insulted everyone I'm supposed to insult? <laughs> I noticed the professor's gone very quiet. I think, he, I, I think he's been sick. Just trying not to die. Okay. Alrighty, well, um, where can they find us, DJ? Uh, they can find us on Facebook, uh, on Twitter at NAmalgamated, uh, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher. Um, if they have any inquiries, they can email us at nerds.amalgamated at gmail.com. Or they can also find us at the That's Not Canon website, where we've got an archive of our old episodes and merchandise. Awesome. Um, I have to say I still love my um, travel mug that I purchased, and it looks really, really cool. Um, who are we going to give a shout-out to this week, guys? Anyone that you want to in particular? Uh, we can give a shout-out to Cutscene Saga. Okay. Cutscene Saga. Professor, you got anyone you want? Not off the uh, top of my head. Okay. Um, I'm going to give a shout-out to one of our new sister programs, uh, Imogen and Harrison Predict the Future. I haven't listened to it myself, but hey, go check them out. Let us know what you think. They're available on Spotify and also the That's Not Canon website. Alrighty, um, that's the end for another week. So remember, look out for yourselves, take care of each other, and stay hydrated. And I'll see you next week if I survive. If he doesn't, we will figure something out. Hey, Root. See you guys. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.